Thank you everyone for joining me for my new episode of my podcast, USNA Med Moms and More. And I'm very excited to have with me two USNA grads, Heidi Lanzini and Michaela Lee. And they're going to tell you their year and their class and their company and all about that. But I'm very excited to hear about their journey through USNA and more importantly about their careers in the Navy and also as, as female officers and just in general. So I welcome uh, Michaela and Heidi. And Michaela, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and then I'll ask Heidi for an introduction as well. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. I appreciate it. Um, I just, I wanna tell a little story about how we randomly met each other at the USA Mid store because you had your little, your stand and you were so affable. You're so, you gave us some swag for us to deck out our, 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 our display table. And I really appreciate it. And we just got to talking and then it manifested. That was back in July on I day and it manifested into this where we're finally meeting and having this work. So thank you so much for putting this together and for bugging, um, bugging me and getting this, uh, this going. As, as you mentioned, I, um, I'm, a, I'm Michaela Golding Lee. Golding is my maiden, as my um, my maiden name. I'm a Naval Academy graduate, graduated in the mighty class of 2000, and I am originally from Kingston, Jamaica, but I call Portsmouth, Rhode Island home. I spent most of my formative years in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. Um, I, upon graduation from the Naval Academy, I served as selected uh, surface warfare officer, and I did many tours of duty. Um, I was deployed a lot and uh, just it burned out, <laughs> just completely burned out. But I do, in hindsight, I look back and it was a very rewarding experience for me. I've now gotten out of the Navy. I, I now actually now work still for the Department of the Navy as a Deputy Legislative Assistant to uh, Chief of Naval Personnel and a Congressional Liaison. And that that's all that I have. Okay. At least one more. <laughs> that's an exciting career path, actually. Thank you <laughs> so much, Michaela. And um, Heidi, tell us a little about yourself. Hi, welcome everybody. My name is Heidi Herter Lenzini. I am a daughter of a naval aviator and have uh, at one point there were four in my family in the Navy, so we put a lot of blue and gold in there. I graduated the great class of 1995. So 95 and 2000, so a five-year difference. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. A big difference between those. We'll get to that later. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I was fortunate to be the second class of women to serve a select uh, uh, combat ships. So I chose a brand new early bird destroyer, a USS The Sullivans, and spent about a year in the shipyard with her before going up and down the East Coast, testing everything. I had a chance to deploy with USS Normandy, which is a cruiser. And, uh, and then I was able to go to Great Lakes for my second tour. I was thinking about getting out at that point because my husband was working for NASCAR, which is a whole different conversation. Then he decides to go work for... Wow for a Toyota racing development in California. So the Navy says, hey, got a job in San Diego if you want it. And I'm like, okay, fine, twist my arm, make me go to San Diego. So then I ended up in San Diego where I was able to work for public affairs. I ended up lateral transferring to public affairs, worked for Naval Air Forces, which is all things Naval Aviation, including uh, all aircraft carriers and, and all the aircraft. Uh, got a grad school deal out of the, out of the option with uh, San Diego State. Let's, let's throw in a toddler and a newborn just to make it more fun. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I like to say the Naval Academy prepared me well for being a mom. And then uh, then I got to do work for surface forces. And also I got to be the public affairs officer for the USS Ronald Reagan. And I finally then got to go my first joint tour down at US Southern Command, where we were dealing with the Haiti earthquake about a decade ago. And then my final tour before retiring was up here in DC at the uh, Naval History and Heritage Command 
which is dealing with the Navy's uh, nine museums. So I've now, I retired in 2015. I worked for the Association of United States Navy. And then for the last couple of years, I've worked for the Defense Health Agency uh, as, uh, as a contractor for Cherokee Nation with the uh, first the tra traumatic brain injury and then also with patient safety. So I have two kids, one's in college, one's a senior in uh, high school and married almost 25 years. Yeah, I'm just glad to be here. There's a lot, lot to talk about today. That is, wow, I'm impressed with I'm glad I went you. first. <laughs> <laughs> I got through it. <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of experience between the two of you is crazy. Um, okay. we, could all, we could be here all night talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so if we can put our midshipman hat back on and mm -hmm. remember that far, because my kids tell me that all of the their memories got supplanted, if not by reef points, but what by whatever qualifications they had to like go through and learn. Uh, everybody, of course, talks lead summer. It's something that it, it's cross-generational because you can meet a 1959 grad like my dad and immediately right, relate to them just on plead summer and certain things that are highlights for, for the Navy journey. What are a few things that you learned during plead summer that helped you throughout the journey and then maybe even into your career? And we'll start with Heidi this time. Sure. So like I said, as I, I walked in the door in, in 1991, which is sort of an interesting time to be there, putting into historical context, because uh, that's when tailhook happened. The big scandal with the aviators getting uh, a little too a little too rowdy, and that, that really rocked Navy to its core, and uh, and really put them on notice about how the how they had been treating women and uh, some of their bad behavior. So. Uh, I think that caused a little bit of a pendulum effect with a lot more sensitivity and, and, and they started, they had started already at that point to get rid of a lot of the abusive behaviors that perhaps you might hear from, from older grads. And I think it just, it became a more professional environment. So the bottom line was really, it was, uh, I was very fortunate to be in a fantastic company, a stop and seventh company. And we really, we really work together. That's the thing is you're coming from all 50 states. You know, one of the first things they, they learn is the everybody's name and where they're from. I actually had probably the easiest one to learn because I was Heidi Herter from Highland, Indiana. So nobody forgot that one. And, and really the basic thing was just the teamwork. You know, you don't, you don't go anywhere without, without your wingman. And, uh, and so help you if you do, because then the entire company is in the front leading rest uh, and waiting for your classmate. So you learn pretty quickly not to do that. And really, it's just it's just a rite of passage. You know, there is no, I always tell all of my candidates, I've been working with candidates now for the last 20 years, I said, nobody gets to bypass plebe summer. Everybody has to do it. Mm -hmm. So you're learning how to how to work together. You're, uh, you're getting perhaps, uh, I mean, that was like, I was able to validate a couple of courses. So four semesters of Spanish, woohoo. But <laughs> forget about the rest of it. But, uh, but yeah, you really just doing going through the grind we had uh, the iconic Heinz lens with the PT in the morning and uh, has a strong German yeah. accent <laughs> so so he was just uh, just to see a, quite an older gentleman putting us through our paces in the morning as the sun was rising I mean that's just not something you ever forget so so yeah I think that was really the main thing if you think about it nobody really wants you to leave they make you think that but they're really just testing you putting you under stress and wanting you to to really just look in deep inside and understand the reasons why you're there. And that's like, for me, as a blue and gold officer, is that I, I liked it very seriously when I talked to my candidates. I said, you know, yes, we do have a quote unquote free education. However, comma, the, the standing joke is that we, they take it out of the end nickel at a time. So you just have to really want to be there. And if you decided you're going to be there, then nothing is going to stand in your way. That's a great perspective. 
my husband and I are BGOs and we tell our candidates they're on the deferred payment plan. It's free, mm-hmm. but really not free because you're going to pay on the back end with, with time. Thank you for that perspective. And yes, that, that teamwork is uh, invaluable. Michaela, anything that you'd like to add from your perspective, having come into the Academy so, years later? <laughs> So 1996 was my eye day, July 2nd, 1996. It'll, the day that'll go down in infamy. <laughs> it is ingrained in my memory because I had, um, I, had, I actually came from a family with no military at all. So my first exposure to the Naval Academy was when I was uh, doing my junior year, trying to figure out which colleges I would apply to. And I got invited to do summer seminar, which is for those who, for you, if you're not aware, it's this one week program where you get exposed to the Naval Academy and it's based off of your PSAT scores. I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. I came back and I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to the Naval Academy. I was one of the first to apply, one of the first to be accepted, but one of the last few to, to actually acknowledge and, and so that would go. I got my hair done like uh, in preps for I-Day. I got like a, a nice bob, like I had it, it was phenomenal. And then, <laughs> and then so I'm there at I-Day, people are screaming at me. It is not like what summer seminar was. Um, and then July 4th, where he, we're on this field sitting in attention, watching the fireworks. And they're like, isn't this beautiful? And I'm like, no, I haven't slept. This is not beautiful. This is not fun at all. One of the things that Heidi said is spot on. I learned the value of teamwork. The first thing that we learn is, is our, our classmates, our company mates where they're from and their names. And it just, you realize that you are with these people. We're one team, one fight. Like once we're only as strong as our weakest link. We realize that we, through teamwork, we could all get through this because we're all in this together. The, the suck, we're just all going to be in this suck together. The, the thing is that the entire summer, my hair was a mess. I mean, I just, I had very difficult hair between the swimming, between the sweating, between like, and then, you know, I had just gotten my hair done. So it was just, a, my hair was a mess the entire summer. I learned through all of that, that there are people that I could truly count on and that they understood the value of the team and that we were going to get through this together. My sleep summer was definitely very difficult and very challenging. And I did. I was one of, one of the first phone calls that we had to make. I remember I couldn't get through to my mom, but I got through to my aunt and I told her I was going to leave. And I think one of the, the follow on things is, what do you say to someone that was going to leave? She's a, a God-fearing woman and she just, listened to everything that I had to say and got kind of talked me off the ledge. Um, but it, it was it was a difficult time for me, but I definitely learned the value of teamwork. Um, and I don't know if we want to talk about plebe year yet, but um, but I'll get to that if and just a pause. Definitely plebe summer, and of course, did you have plebe parent weekend. We did, yeah, yeah. No, you talk you talked to some of the grads, and I'm not sure when plebe parent weekend began, but I know it wasn't always there. Mm. So you get to plead parent weekend, you get to see your family, and then you start plebe year. How was the adjustment from plebe summer to plebe year? What did you get out of plebe year surviving plebe year that helped you get through the rest of the three years, right? And they say that the journey is divided into thirds. So one third is plebe summer, one third is plebe year, and the rest is the last third. And then of course, being able to see your family kind of help you get through the rest. Kayla, you want to pick up and then get Heidi? <laughs> sure. uh, so, yes, you're so right. When the parents weekend, I just remember my mom being aghast when she saw me because I had lost so much weight. I was like 10 shades darker. Again, my hair was a mess. <laughs> and I had sprained my wrist. I was wearing this wrist thing. So she was like, what is going on? But after the culmination of sleep summer, where again, because everyone had gone through this with me, I was super motivated. I was so motivated about the academy. 
um, that I had gone through this this thing. And I think that, I mean, I hate to say this, and I know this is common, but I think I really did have one of the last, we did have one of the last sleep summers because they could kind of technically still hate you. <laughs> I, mean, they, I definitely was put in a front-leaning rest for very, very long periods of time. So, but Akir was difficult for me as well, though, because I had never studied in high school. I know so many of us tell the same, can tell the same story that never studied, still got straight A's, could cram for the exam the night before and pass it, could, you know, write a midterm paper, do an all-nighter and still get an A on it, A plus. And I did not realize that I could not apply those traits going into the academic year. Chemistry killed me. They thought that my our class had all decided to fail chemistry because we all wound up going to summer school and we're like there was a book for, they had to rent out the the hall for our class because there were so many of us that failed chemistry. Um, and I had to go to an academic board the first time in my life ever that I was not succeeding because I also was trying to run track. I also I was on the track team as well, and so just the, I did not figure out how to balance very well my plea year, but. I am glad that um, that I made it through at the at the academic board. I guess the reason why I was retained because everyone that preceded me they did it in reverse order, Z through A. And so here I am. My, my maiden name is G, and everyone before me had gotten <laughs> gotten kicked out. And I was like, okay. I guess what saved me was my company officer that said, "You want to retain her." I know she she's not. The grades are terrible. The grades were deplorable, but this is a keeper. She's just super motivated. And and I, the reason why I was motivated is because of the, my classmates and because I actually started to sort of feel the academy. I felt that I was definitely part of something bigger than myself. So very difficult academic year, but I'm glad that I survived. I love how you said that you were, that you felt like you were something bigger than yourself because that, that is definitely. I did. I got it. Like I felt it. I, it, I definitely felt it. And it was because my coming officer was a Marine Corps officer and he actually wound up and getting out and, and, and joined the FBI, but he just an amazing individual. I think because he was an Academy grad, he realized the bigger picture more so. Um, and he just kind of told us, he just, you are you're you're going to something big if you could just hold out you're going to be part of something big and we're and he always said he valued our service and commitment I just felt like I could do this that's a sign of a great leader I think it was phenomenal we're very sad to hear that he wasn't staying he definitely was instrumental in me being still here and where I am now and 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 continuing by being in the navy and please I read us another quick note on that is uh is, uh, you know, I was lucky. I had some, I had some great uh, Napsters, uh, Naval Academy Prep School uh, guys that were in my squad. And as I went straight out of high school, uh, I like to tell people that it's, the Academy is like an extension of, of Catholic school because, you know, I, I feel like uniforms are the great, the great equalizer. Because then it doesn't matter, you know, where you're from, how much money your parents had, didn't have. It's, it's down to you. I mean, you got to do this. Like your parents can't do this for you. You got to do this yourself. Sure. And uh, and being the oldest of six, I mean, I I was committed. Like I was not turning back. There is just, I mean, me and the guys are crying and stuff. I'm like, come on, what are you gonna do? Take away your birthday? I mean, just seriously, <laughs> you're gonna be fine. You know? <laughs> and, and you know, it just it just leaving was just not an option. I was not doing it. And uh, and so they try wow. to scare you over plebe summer. And they make you think that, oh, wait till the brigade comes back. There's going to be three of them to every one of you. Mm-hmm. But what they don't tell you is they're not all the handpicked detailers that you have over the summer. And there is a range. I mean, you got everybody from the totally squared away, just about perfect 
brigade commander, which is a six striper, all the way down to like, you know what, two own go. If it wasn't good enough, then that wouldn't be fine. And you really start to, you know, when you're used to getting like mostly A's and maybe a few B's here and there, all of a sudden it's like, hmm, C for complete, D for done. Yeah, I'm good with that. I had a 194 the first semester and I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what in the world? I mean, I had these. How did you board? I had visions. My record went to an Oxford. I personally did not go, but my record went. Oh. And someone, oh, okay, I, I actually, okay. if you go to Nimitz Hall, the library, and you you can actually pull your record. And someone wrote in there. That, really? Yeah, that 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 I, I somehow was worthy of retention. I'm not sure how that was. I mean, because I was not a troublemaker. Because for me, I'm not that I would be courting trouble in general. Uh, but once I kind of put on notice academically, I'm like, I am not jumping the wall. I'm not going on recons. I am doing nothing <laughs> to get my rear end in trouble because I was not a stellar athlete. I was in drum music corps. So I said, I got nothing to save me here. So I'm just average. Just just get me through this. <laughs> So, so I became an English major. So I like to say a Bachelor of Science with an English major, which means I took electrical engineering and Shakespeare in the same semester. <laughs> aced, <laughs> I, aced, I aced the Shakespeare, got a by with a C and the double E. But let me tell you, all those engineers <laughs> would bring me their papers and, uh, you know, like knock on the door. Could you look at this paper? And I'm like, fine, come back in an hour. So <laughs> and I, I, I was, I mean, because really when you think about it, and I don't want to jump ahead too much about, you know, what happens afterwards, but but really the writing is super critical because that's really how people get promoted or not, you know, how you write evaluations, how do you write awards or not? And that's really what I spend time doing, you know? And so it's a, to me, even though, and so it was for me, the summers afterwards, that's when you get out to the real, that's when you start doing the real stuff. So then like, I'm just like, okay, I just need to deal with all this academic stuff and get through it, do the best that I can keep myself out of trouble and once you get, and, that, and that's what would kill me is that like people would want, would want to bail at spring break as a plea. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, you're almost so there. Weird. Like, hang yeah. on. Just like, it's just the downhill slide after that. After spring break, it's like, you know, people are focused. They're focused. They're focused on graduation. Yep. You know, they're, they're really just not giving you a hard time at all. I mean, if you are, then you probably deserve it. But it's, <laughs> for the most part. You know, even just getting to Christmas, especially if you beat Army for in December. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, it's like, because like I said, everybody is a student when you start. Every single person is a student. So they're worried about themselves, probably a lot more than you. And there's going to be a that they, they, you know, they get into it. You know, they want to give you a hard time or they're going to, you know, hassle you or whatever, maybe drop you over once in a blue moon. But I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying is that it's, you know, you just got to figure you know, understand why you're here. You're, you're there to get your academics done. You're there for leadership. You're talking about company officers. I want to mention something about my, my company officer from summer is a female uh, Marine. And she said, every day, what I want you to do is I want you to have in your mind, two bags on the first bag, you're going to have all the good stuff that you learned that day. Save that. And then on the other bag, any of the bad stuff or things that weren't so good, put it, put it in that bag and then get rid of it. Toss it. And she was just, she was great. I mean, I just, um, I've had, I had great company officers. Like I said, I had a great uh, company. We all, you know, got along pretty well. We're just in it. We're going to do this. We're going to get through it together. Yeah, I, I have, I counseled uh, many parents whose kids want to leave. Right around spring break, I find every year is 
when they start to think about leaving uh, because they've been with their friends. They find out that their friends are traveling here and doing that. And they go home on the weekend and they do this and that and the other. And they're at the academy and they're on the grind, right? And they can't get off the yard until the weekend and liberty and this and that. And so they they feel like they want to leave. And I always tell the parents, tell them to hang on. A, they don't have a plan right now. So they are not, haven't applied to another college. They don't have another option. So it'd be foolish to drop out without an option. That's the first thing. The second thing is wait until after the summer training. And I tell you that 90% of the kids that want to leave after summer training, they stay, if not more. Because then they get to go out in the fleet and they get to see what they're really going to do. They get to plug in somewhere. So I totally get what you're saying about uh, spring break. Why do you quit at spring break? I mean, you're almost done with with plebe year. So most of you're getting getting credit. You want to get credit for the whole semester. Like, why would you throw that away? That's ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you don't want to retake those on your dime, too. So Mm -hmm. so exactly. You both mentioned leaders in your company that literally, I guess, mentored you and probably shaped the type of leader that you wanted to be. And then the other thing is, what advice would you give to a plebe that is, or a midshipman that is struggling academically, uh, because it could be a youngster as well, before they're two for seven, and is thinking of leaving. So talk a little bit about the importance of mentors. And then what advice would you give to a plebe or a mid that's thinking of leaving? They're struggling academically or in some way. So this time I'm going to toss it to Heidi first. Yeah, I think that the Neil Academy is a leadership laboratory. You have got a mentorship everywhere. So it's not limited to just within your company. You have peers because really what people don't realize is that, yes, there's a fair amount of the class that is coming straight out of high school. 23 is the age cutoff. One of my own roommates, she had a year of college, then the money ran out, and then she enlisted for a year. Then she went to the Neil Academy Prep School. She had three years of something else. For the people that are prior enlisted, other people who went to NAPS, other people who went to a lot of other places. So you have people who have life experience um, before they become even your own classmates. So you have company officers, you have professors, because professors are about a 50-50 military and civilian. So I had, I had really, it was actually my, I'm still friends with him to this day, my English professor, Mike Parker, and he was the one who recognized my writing skills and said, well, you really should consider being an English major. And he was just, he was there with me the whole way. I mean, just, you know, we talk all the time. He had, you know, great projects and things that I worked on. They have also your sponsors. Um, I was lucky. I've had a, a kind of a succession of sponsors, but I had the kind of younger couple that were my sponsor and they were literally right out the back gate out of gate eight <laughs> the home away from home kind of thing they had this cute little girl who was probably I think three or four years old and so there you go there's not just having the mental break and being able to just get involved in different things and for me the other refuge was the German Bugle Corps and everybody was super cool first of all they had air conditioning <laughs> so, <laughs> before air conditioning existed that whole project started after i graduated with the whole trying to air condition the hall and all this massive renovations but the john beale corps folks were super cool they were just amazing and they said and i was actually academically just i would see a number of them having soup star you mentioned superintendent stars for the first semester i was like how is that even possible we have the field show we have so much to do i mean how is it possible that you're getting superintendent stars and they said 
well, when we have a lot to do, I have to be more conscious of my time. I have to plan better. I said they felt them help them to be more focused. Now I never attained, I think maybe once I made the commandant's list, but I absolutely did not make the <laughs> list ever because my grades were too destroyed by that first, that first year. But anyway, I did recover. I did graduate with the 266, but I think that the help is there wherever you look. That's what I tell people too. I said that upper class who's a chemistry major, and maybe they might be yelling at you in the morning for some stupidity. But if you honestly do need help, they will probably help you if you ask them. You know, like I said, nobody really wants you to fail. They really don't. And between the academic learning center, between the professors are required to give you extra instruction, EI. So between upper class or other people that are taking stuff, I mean, the help is there. You just have to, that's, that's the other thing too, especially plebes. They get too worried about getting yelled at for the stupid stuff you have to know every single day. Uh, and they worry too more about that than they do about the academics. I said, you're going to get kicked off faster for academics than you will for conduct, which is, I, I hate to say that, but it, that's just unfortunately the way that it seems to be. Okay, so you take your lumps that day because you forgot something. Whatever, not a big deal. Let's go back and, you know, as long as you're not constantly being a knucklehead, okay, fine, you know, but, you know, it's going to it's gonna be, you're going to be fine. Like, you know, get get over it. So they get yelled at you. Well, they're going to have to leave sometime because they, ha they have to go to class and they have other things to do too. So... <laughs> You know, it's just all about balance and it's just about just trying to find, you know, what's going to work for you. But so like I said, the mentorship is anywhere, just about anywhere you look. And the other thing that was new, they added this my senior year, my first year, is they incorporated the senior enlisted, one person per either a Marine Corps or Navy, one in, in each company. company. Yeah. And in the country. And that was fantastic. And they, they've continued that to this day. Yeah. Uh, and I think that helps to be able to reach out to that enlisted mentorship. I mean, not that they can always help you with the academics, but if there's any leadership issues, I mean, I have a plea there, a plea there right now. She was having some issues with some of her, her classmates, just not really pulling together. And so, I mean, I wouldn't have thought to do this, but she, I mean, as a, especially as a plea, she was going to her, the senior enlisted advisor enlisted. And, and talking to him. And I said, that's great. That is a great relationship to, to start because that's what you're going to do in the fleet. And I have I've had fantastic chiefs for me, uh, what I did. And so, so yeah, no, I think that they, they're starting yeah. them off right. And if if, if, it's, if it's if you're not able to get the help you need within your company, it's either your sister companies or you just have, again, anywhere among the yard. Sometimes it could be, say, the, the O-Rep, the office representative for your extracurricular activity, whether that's your varsity sport, whether that's your intramural, whether, whatever it is that you're doing, there's going to be somebody there that you're going to be able to connect with. You could have stratify the mentoring, you know, for different reasons, you know, okay, someone's a mentor because you're interested in being a SWO and so you want to talk about that. Or maybe, you know, there's another female in the yard who's married, has got kids, you want to talk about that. I mean, there's just a lot of different mentors you can have. You don't have to limit yourself to just one. Thank you so much for that. My mids, they love their senior enlisted. They would go mm -hmm. to them for everything and they, they were just, they, they loved them. And I think that helped them too, when they went on the fleet mm -hmm. to, to develop a positive relationship with the, their enlisted, their master chiefs and everything else. So Kayla, how about, how about you? Um, oh my gosh. So Heidi sums up everything. And I, so I would only add three things that, that Heidi like said. So number one, the Academy is a leadership laboratory, which is, I, you hear it's such a cliche, but it's so true in that. So I, so as I said, I went to the ACT board my company officer at the time was a Marine Corps captain who got out with FBI to go to the FBI. He was phenomenal, just super motivating, got us all like engaged, let us realize that this is just for a minute but in the grand scheme of life and we can get through this. And then we had a new company officer <laughs> and he was not as motivating. Straight from the fleet, he just kind of wanted to bring things from the fleet and treat us 
in the negative aspects of the fleet, so not so motivating. Um, so he just had a completely different leadership style. But I will say that because of that, I did get to find other sources. And I and, and as Heidi said, no one wants to see you pass. I had a lot of seniors, upperclassmen, who recognized. So in my class, there were only seven uh, African-American females. And so we had a lot of other pe people reach out to us and wanted us to succeed. And so I got my mentorship from there and just very random. I mean, I don't know, Heidi, if they had it with you, but we had a salon. Flo served as a mentor. Um, that was such a great refuge. So not only are you like just getting, feeling, you know, getting connected, but it's just a just great atmosphere. And I just, I had, I found other outlets and I will say even church, like even just going and being a part and finding out and getting reconnected with God. I didn't realize it now. I Once I went to the act board, I, you know, I automatically had to go on EI. I never, ever, like I, the next semester I had a three, one, four, like I never, never was in the red zone again, but there's so many resources. Like in every, I realized that there are people that can look at your papers, like in advance of you turning it in. There's just all these like resources available. The people, the outlets are there. Just there's no dumb question and just ask the question as well. That's what I would encourage any any midshipman to do. Yes, I agree completely. And the bottom line is though, it's up to you to go get the help. It's, right. Absolutely. So Michaela, do you so Michaela, you had you had some help from seventh battalion, right? Is that what you call it? Seventh battalion. They did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to ask Michaela to mention maybe a, a little bit of advice that, that you would have for any parents that are listening that may have a mid that or a plebe that's thinking of leaving. If you had a 30 second elevator speech, what would you tell them? So I would say to be supportive and listen. First and foremost, listen. As someone that's been in that shoes, a midshipman that wanted to sort of leave, I appreciated when my mom and my father, they listened to my, what my concerns were, but then they also were objective and they were very supportive and said, whatever you want to do, we will accept. But then they also let me see the bigger picture. They were like, if you go to the academy, this is no college debt. You don't have to stay in the military forever. This is going to set you up and for the rest of your life. So this is just a small sacrifice or small thing that you're that you're being a part of in order to set yourself up for future endeavors and just listening, just absolutely listening and being a supportive parent as possible. Um, I had one classmate that her family, um, I guess, blackmailed her and got her a car, joined the academy, not realizing that you can't drive a car. <laughs> like, so you want to believe, I mean, I mean, it just was, you know, those things never work out like just, but so again, if the person does truly want to leave, be, be supportive, but also just listening and encouraging and just letting us see the, the bigger picture. That's my elevator pitch. <laughs> so you, you're group leave year and then you're going to go to summer training and then of course start youngster year, have another summer training, second class year and you're two for seven. So as you're looking forward in this journey, what were some of your favorite trainings and how did those help you when you finally got out to the fleet? And I'm going to toss to Heidi. So Anna, I was just going to comment on um, the elevator speech there with regards to the, uh, what the, what the parents to say, I think for me, it's, it's, uh, it's all about perspective. And I read a book, uh, my, no one had given it to me. I just, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how I came across it, but it was called in love and war by Jim and Sybil Stockdale and Jim Stockdale, Admiral Stockdale had been a POW for seven years. And what's really unique about this story and the way it was told is that it alternated chapters between 
what Mrs. Stockdale was do- dealing with and then what he was dealing with. And at the time with Vietnam, they weren't, they were telling the wives not to talk about stuff. The women were now slowly organizing themselves. And then they finally said, enough is enough. We need to know what's going on with our husbands. We, um, we want to make sure they're being treated fairly. And so it, when, you, when you see that resilience, you see how they came up with a system of communication. So like a she, they, she sent a photo of herself because they were able to get mail. She sent a photo of herself carrying red roses. That meant that there was a secret message so he would have to basically pee on the message and a, a secret that, you know, the message would be revealed and then he would either have to eat it, bury it, whatever the heck he did with it. And then on the prisoner side of it, how they came up with a knocking system to try to communicate with each other. And you see that kind of leadership and you see in these extremely challenging situations and you're like, I have nothing to complain about. <laughs> you know, like when my, even with my family, my kids hear this probably for me almost on a daily basis when they want to complain about some trivial thing. I said, spare me your first world problems. You know, when you think about all the things, first of all, the sacrifices it took to get there. And it's like, there's, there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you were chosen. You were selected. You, you know, we, we went through you know, a nomination process. You, maybe you recruited for something and say, we are really good at a sport. To me, you honor that. You honor that. Uh, I mean, nothing. One thing. What motivated me to get involved as a blue and gold officer was hearing this kid over pleep summer. He's ready to bail after one week. I mean, one week in pleep summer. I said, "Does it not bother you? You took a spot that nine other people wanted." And he's like, "No, you know." And uh, and boy, I was furious. I was like, "What in the world?" I mean, because I mean, you know, it's an honor to be chosen to be here, and. One of the people that you got into the academy uh, as a blue and gold author that said that that they wanted no that they took a spot no Um, that that motivated me to become involved with the process. So to me, you know, I so because to me, I felt where did where did we fail? Where did how did this person get in and not understand what was going to be required of them? So to me, you know, knowing that, like I said, there was really nothing that was that I didn't obviously didn't know what to expect over the summer, but you know, to, to just know the reasons why you're there and to understand that, that the end result is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. You just got to get through it. So for me, the, the summer training, one that was really most impactful to me. So this was, so it was in late, super late 1993 when they, they have, they changed the combat exclusion law, which meant the women could now choose combat ships and aircraft. I ended up over the summer being one of two female midshipmen the only two women on the entire ship on a frigate. So a frigate has maybe about 250 so people on board. They threw me in engineering and my my running mate was a super tall guy from the Citadel. Now, of course, I had in my mind an idea of what I thought this Citadel guy was going to be like, but he was super chill, very granola. He's like, I'm getting out of the Navy. I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, right on. Okay. And I said, I am here to work. Put me to work. He's like, okay. And he put me to work. And after a week, one of the chiefs said to me, because uh, basically we were down in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and the very next day we went, got underway. We were in the Caribbean off the coast of Haiti as people were literally fleeing the country from civil unrest. So it was very exciting. Oh, wow. And they were bringing people on board that were fleeing in these rickety boats that were overcrowded. I mean, it was, it was, it, we were passing people off to the Coast Guard and then they were getting into Guantanamo Bay where they were able to, you know, house them and take care of them. And we ended up getting in there for one day. And I happened to be walking 
uh, walking into the commissary and I saw a chaplain that I knew from the Naval Academy. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I'm helping out with the, with the, with the refugee camps. Do you want to, do you want to see them? I'm like, absolutely. I want to see what's where these guys are going and what's going on. And when we got there, it, what was really impactful for me was the fact that I saw all these camis. So this is, this was back when everybody was wearing the same camis. They didn't have like their own service you know, designer camis, if you will. <laughs> but, but when you get a little closer and you start seeing all the different patches, you know, where they were from, you know, you had, you know, Army, Navy, you know, Air Force, Marine Corps, everybody was pulling together. That's my first kind of semi-joint experience. And to trying to help people, like taking all their information, trying to help connect families, they were getting you know, these tents, they were getting fed, they were, you know, had some, um, you know, sports equipment so they could try to have some degree of entertainment. And I was just really blown away by all of that. And, and, uh, and then getting back to the ship again and having a chief tell me, you know, you're like a breath of fresh air. We like having you around. I'm like, right on chief. I mean, that was awesome. And then at the end of it to have the captain tell me, if you didn't have to go back to the Academy for school, I would want to keep you as part of my wardrobe. So <laughs> that also was just, I think cool. And they then just got a blue chip. Did they have? Well, that was that was a, that, they didn't do that at that point. So, uh, so yeah, the blue chip was really basically explaining to our listeners that that now they have a thing where if you do have this fantastic experience over the summer, and you want to return to that ship, then you can't. That's like a that's basically like a, a you can be you can recruited so to speak, at, which is amazing. That's that's a really great thing. So, so for me, um, that really just just. You know, it made not that I didn't value my education, absolutely, but it just to me that mattered less, and I felt like the proof was in the pudding of being there and being in the fleet and just just being myself. I didn't feel like I had to be fake or anything. And and again, because you know the guys were a little bit nervous at first about you know, having women on board, and there was there was one bathroom, one bathroom in the and the off there's one wardrobe area, <laughs> one officer's bathroom. So we just put male occupied, female occupied, whatever. And I'm like, listen, I mean, everybody just keeps their hands to themselves. We're not going to have a problem. And it wasn't a problem. It was not a problem. So, you know, it's just, and, and for me, the whole attitude about uh, women in combat and they're saying, oh, well, America's not ready to have, uh, have women come back home in body bags. I'm like, well, newsflash people, it's already happened. And uh, <laughs> number one, and number two, if that possibility makes our leadership, and I say all leadership, the civilian leadership in particular, who, you know, that's who we work for, well, technically we work for the constitution, but anyway, the people is that, and it makes them think twice about, engaging us in various conflicts, then that's a good thing. So mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't feel that I was more important than anybody else or my father, my brother, or any of my other family members who served uh, male family members. Uh, I, you know, I, I just wanted to be treated like everybody else and same opportunities. And, and, you know, when you talk to the women who were those earlier classes and in, in the, the early, first class women graduated in 1980 and when you had see see now they, the first class of women graduated out of almost a thousand people there were 55 women in the class mm -hmm. now we're up to almost 30 percent so that's about okay. 300 in the class so in the very first class only five women got to go surface warfare five that just blew my mind i mean of course obviously they didn't have combat ship options they had other ships but to have all and especially now they added uh submarines in 2010 so now uh, there's again <laughs> part of it was because they were having difficulty getting the men to go do the, the submarines and then also um, you know women tend to be shorter anyway so why not and oh by the way they're very smart <laughs> so people think oh well now that we have almost 30 percent women does this mean it as a woman it's an easier opportunity to get in no it's the same percentage 
it's just thank you title nine thank you stem for really increasing the number of women who are eligible and who are have an interest in these kinds of things the naval academy has really done a great job too especially in the last 15 years of of increasing the international program the international programs office which giving mids a lot more either like a semester opportunity definitely doing more great things over the summer and increasing that exposure uh, you have at least 15 classmates up to 15 classmates each class that are from other countries and they train alongside with us and so i think that's really made such a huge difference because you know you talk about oh people going home and you know seeing what their friends are doing in college and blah 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 i, I can tell you after after spending three weeks with the marine corps after my first summer, so this is the second summer, the youngster summer, three weeks of the Marine Corps down in Quantico, riding around in tanks, being up there in a helicopter, um, point, planning our voyage on the Yard Patrol craft with, you know, 20 youngsters, three first class and three enlisted, New York, Newport, Norfolk, and Charleston. When I went home to talk to my friends, they're like, I feel like I'm in kindergarten compared to you. They just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Think about the plebes, though, that haven't had that opportunity yet. So you had already right. had a summer training under your belt. Plebes that I'm thinking about are just going through their spring break. They haven't gotten to summer yet. Right. Uh, so I'd like to kind of toss it a little bit to Michaela. I'll be quick. So it's funny that Heidi took the approach of her summer cruises my summer cruises were terrible i did leatherneck because i thought i was going to be marine and it was torturous um i was like nope not this is definitely not for me and then my uh, on my on my cruise my summer cruise i was on a, a a cruiser that was home port shifting from mayport to norfolk and so the sailors are very disgruntled um well one of the cool things that, from that experience though is that they did not announce us as midshipmen, and so we arrived in our civvies, and then we changed into our cover. At the time, they allowed us to wear our coveralls, and so we had no insignia. So they had no idea that we were midshipmen. The group that I was with, they put us with damage controlmen, so we were in the gutters, we're cleaning, doing everything. When we were leaving, when we had to check out with the CO, we were in our whites. And everyone's, our division's mouth frothed because they were like, wait a minute, you guys are midshipmen, you guys are going to be future officers. And it was just, it was amazing because, it, you know, we got to get this real experience of like what it was really going to be like to be a deck seaman or a fireman and that we got to be a part of the team. We had such a great experience because I, because I was a part of the gospel choir and the track team, um, I got to travel and I was, I would say that I've had some of the most phenomenal experiences just being a part of clubs and being a part of the, a team um at, when i was at the gospel car we got to sing the national anthem at an nfl the kansas city chiefs game where joe montana was there um we got to go to a phoenix and sing at the national anthem at a phoenix suns game i mean there's just these incredible experiences we traveled during spring break and we just got to do a lot of outreach with a lot of the community like volunteering and just spreading the word about the academy. And I just, that felt really, and you got to see people really appreciate what you were doing. And that also contributing to be like, okay, we can suffer for this little short time to actually give back. That's what was very memorable to me is just those experiences that I had that I didn't think that I would ever have being at, being at the academy. I would think that, you know, in this constricted environment that you'd be able to travel the world or travel as a, as a young midshipman. And I got to experience a lot of things that have, that my peers did not um, just, you know, it's like, what did you do in the summer? And I, I was like, well, I did this, I did that, did that. Best friend at the time that was back home, she was like, oh, well, I, I got a summer job at McDonald's. So it just, 
It was not, it was not comparable, not comparable at all. So you were, you were the glamorous one then for, for a change. I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't glamorous at all. We just got, we were very, it was just very, um, I guess just serendipitous, just good, perfect time. I know the Glee Club, like I still yeah, put down an album. I think I even seen it. Yeah. I, it's just, it's amazing how much the, the Academy is, is surrounding us just, and, and it allows us, it exposes all these opportunities we even have a, i'm on a gospel i have a, i'm even a, on an album <laughs> yeah yeah no my, my both of my mids are on this duraflay which you you say duraflay and they oh, yeah. flinch uh because yeah. dr yeah. smith was recording this album with duraflay something or another and so they they were they're both on that on the recordings the album hasn't <laughs> Come out yet. And I and I do appreciate um, what you mentioned just about the depth and breadth of opportunity that really make you well-rounded. And as a naval officer, you need to be well-rounded because you're going to be dealing with a lot of different backgrounds and interests that are going to be part of your enlisted that you're responsible for. And I think that helps to kind of uh, develop those those relationships with the men and women that you're going to lead. Thank you for joining me for part one of this podcast episode with Michaela and Heidi. Part two will follow in about two weeks. You can also check out my blog on my website, usnamidmomsandmore.org. My podcast and my blog are both based on my book, A USNA Mom's Journal, which is available on my website and at the Midstore. The book is also available in ebook format on Kindle and Apple Books. My podcast is also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as Podbean. Thank you so much for listening and for your support, and I look forward to the next episode. Go Navy!